yeah, and I'm back. I said, I'll be back. I'm back. It's Nevin, the Terminator. This is above the break. Unfortunately, James will not be here for this episode. He's on the injured list. He suffered a foot injury. He's getting scans. He's getting medical tomorrow. Been talking to him. He's been in a lot of pain. Apparently, his mother's bringing him a cane. Um, that's, a, that's my rapping. I know James was a rapper at one point. I obviously was not. Um, so we're going to miss some of his lyrical and basketball genius today. I'm going to keep this episode pretty short because listening to one person talk, unless it's Rush Limbaugh complaining about liberals, I don't think people really enjoy. So just keep that in mind. Let's get let's get going. Because today's episode, I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of who the top form players are in NBA history. But before I do that, let's talk about the return. The return of the Kings. Not the Kings, the basketball team. Not the Kings, the hockey team. Not the Kings of foreign nations. We're talking about the double Ks, Clay Thompson and Kyrie Irving. And one more return I want to bring up as well. Let's first talk about Kyrie. He came back. He looked like Kyrie. It was like he was never gone. <sighs> Kyrie's a big jerk. He really should not have done this to his team. I think everyone kind of accepts that. Even if you stand on the people shouldn't be forced to get vaccinated. True. But the point of vaccinations always was to protect other people, not just yourself. You know what's the best way for Kyrie to protect the Nets championship chances? Get the vaccine. Hopefully, he sees what they're capable of on the court when he's there, and then he sees the drop-off when he's gone. Maybe he'll get the vaccine. If not, I don't think the Nets are going to be able to win a title without him. Um, it's not that James Harden and Kevin Durant aren't good enough. It's that in a salary cap sport, you can't have a guy burning $30 million on your bench. It's $30-plus million on his bench. That's Their salary is like $160 million this season, but they're actually only getting $130 million out of it because of Kyrie. That's the big issue. He looks great. I cannot believe someone that hadn't been playing NBA basketball for as long as him comes back and it's like, oh, he is a pure basketball player. He is great to watch. <sighs> he's sometimes interesting, but for the most part, he just thinks he's smarter than he is. And hopefully he wisens up a little bit and just gets the vaccine so he can, so he can play the beautiful game and make that team better. All right, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, you would have thought this guy came back from the dead. You would have thought he had walked on water. You would have thought this was the greatest basketball player in the history of the league, the way people have been talking about his return. I'm not saying it's we shouldn't celebrate guys coming back from major injuries, guys coming back from two major injuries. But I do think kind of Clay's absence has kind of elevated him in the public's view. A lot of people saying, how is he not on the top 75 players in NBA history list? I mean, he's not one of the top 75 players in NBA history. He's really good, but he wasn't better than Dwight Howard. Um, like, he was the third best player on a really, really, really good team. If Klay Thompson wasn't on those Warriors teams, we wouldn't be talking about him as being one of the top 75 players. It wouldn't mean he was a great player. It wouldn't mean he wouldn't be deserving of the contract that he's currently on. It just means that 
he's probably in that range with a lot of really good players in the 76 to 125, 150th best player in NBA history. Great player. On to his return. Man, good thing that game wasn't that close um, because that really allowed, I think, Clay to just shoot a ton. He got off a bunch of shots. I think he took 19. He just scored 17 points, so it wasn't a good night. He didn't collect a lot of uh, stats in other areas, but he never has been. He's been a points guy. He gets his shots up. He's efficient, and he plays good defense. It's hard to tell how good his defense is going to be, especially not just in short bursts, especially in this first game. He has had a ton of rest. It's how's that body going to recover? Anyone that's, you know, it's New Year's resolutions are right here. If you've been trying to get back in shape and you go to the gym for the first time in a long while, you go in there, you kill your workout, you come out, and the next day you're sore everywhere. That's probably, Clay Thompson's going to have a bit of that. You can't simulate NBA speed in workouts, in practice. So we'll see how he does on back-to-backs. Hey, he got up his shots. He's It's going to be work in progress, but I do think it'd be best for him and the public to temper expectations, to not expect him to be anywhere near the Clay Thompson that he once was, Partially just due to age. He probably wouldn't be as good if even if he had never gotten hurt. And just, you know, let him take his time. Because I don't want this to be one of these things where we celebrate him coming back and then it starts becoming, what's wrong with Clay Thompson? What's wrong with Clay Thompson is he tore his ACL and then tore his Achilles. The only guy I know that's done that in short succession in NBA history is DeMarcus Cousins. That guy went from being all NBA to now being on 10-day contracts after suffering those two injuries basically back-to-back. That's why we need to be realistic with this. If Klay Thompson can play in the NBA and contribute at all, that's like a serious that's a serious win for him and his career and the Warriors. I think that needs to be the expectation. If it's anything better, fantastic. Like, great. I know people say the injuries aren't going to affect his shooting, but he was special because of his defense, Right? The shooting is great, but if he's just a shooter with not any defense, he's Joe Harris. Are we talking about Joe Harris as a top 75 player of all time? No, and he's like maybe the best three-point shooter in the league in terms of percentages over the last few seasons, right? So let's just keep it real. Final return is Rui Hachimura of the Washington Wizards. He wasn't out due to injury. He wasn't out due to anti-vaxxing from what I know, but he wasn't there for personal reasons. As a Wizards fan, I'm glad to have him back. He was the ninth overall pick um, three drafts ago. He showed some steady progress. He's an interesting developmental player in that he's from Japan, and so he played high school ball there, and then he went to Gonzaga. So he's kind of behind the development curve, even for his age. I think he's a long-term NBA player. He's gotten better each season. I hope he just shows that this season he's going to keep getting better. Hopefully, whatever was the issue, um, whatever the personal reasons were, they're either behind him or they're managed, and he can continue his NBA career because from from what I gather, he's a good dude, and you know he plays for my team, and I hope he, he does well. Um, the Wizards could really use a boost, and if he gives them anything this season, that's great. Long term, I think he's probably an NBA starter for a pretty good team. I don't know if he's an NBA starter for a championship contender, but as a Wizards fan, you're, when you have an okay team, that's that's great. When you have a, we can maybe make the second round, that's amazing. And if you have a team that could potentially make the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a championship team for us. 
we hang banners. We hang banners for like division championships. I don't know if that's true, but you get the you get the point. That's been like the 10 minute warm up. Get me, get me flowing, get me going. This is when we need James, right? Because at this point you're going, Nevin, shut the fuck up. And I'm saying the same thing to myself. But let's get into the top foreign players in NBA history. So I went out and I did the thing that some people hate, but I think it's the easiest way to make these lists because at the end of the day, looking at who scored the most points, who's got the most rebounds, who's got the most assists, like that's three different lists and then you have to like parse through all that and then say, well, what era was he playing in, right? Higher scoring era, lower scoring era, the assists and points totals are going to be different, lower shooting efficiency era, the rebounds are going to be higher, right? So there's these great all-in-one metrics that they have now. I used VORP and Box Plus Minus. I think it's better than win shares and win shares per 48, mainly because win shares tend to overvalue lower usage, high efficiency shooters and guys that get a bunch of rebounds. So win shares will be like, did you know that Mitchell Robinson's one of the best players in the league on a permanent basis? He's not. And it's because the metric was designed to capture all of NBA history. And back in like the fifties and sixties, no one shot 60% from the field. People basically missed more than half their shots. I think Wilt Chamberlain was like the first guy to average over 50% shooting and he like led the league in field goal attempts just to give you an idea of how good he was, but also the state of the league. So it's like rebounds were a lot more plentiful and a lot more valuable. And yeah, so that's why I went with uh, VORP because it values uh, higher usage, lower efficiency players in the way that they should be valued. And so the top foreign-born players in terms of VORP in order are Dirk at number one, and he's got a 10 VORP lead on Hakeem, then Pau Gasol, then Steve Nash. Then in fifth, Manu Ginobili. Sixth, and this is one I want to talk about in particular, Andre Karolinko. Um, probably the, the one of the best foreign-born players we don't talk about. Seventh is Giannis. Eighth is Nikola Jokic. Ninth is Mark Gasol, who's technically not retired, but he's not playing currently, and he may never play in the NBA again. Great player, obviously. Tenth is Vladi Divac. Eleventh is Dikembe Mutombo. Twelfth, another, another under-talked about international player, the original Dirk, Detlef Shrimp, played for those really good Seattle um, Supersonics teams in the 90s. Then in 13th, who I think we need to highlight, Tony Parker, then Tony Kukoc, and then 15th, currently playing, and probably will shoot up these standings by the end of his career, is Rudy Gobert. Okay. So, what does this tell us? I saw some people say, hey, like, who are the best international players? I write about the Houston Rockets, and I even wrote a thing about how Hakeem is obviously the greatest international player of all time. Honestly, my honest opinion is that Dirk Nowitzki and Hakeem are like so close in so many metrics and have accomplished almost the same amount of things in their career that I just have to go, okay, they're like tied. <laughs> like I can't, I can't really push one over the top. You could say, well, 
team has two championships. If you want to use it as a tiebreaker, I'm not going to hold it against you. I don't like doing that because Dirk won a championship. He also made a finals. And, you know, he has a 10 VORP lead. In terms of box plus minus, he lags behind Hakeem by a little bit, but it's 0.11. You know, he came into the league a bit younger, and I think he played a bit older. So if you kind of knock off those, like, first and last seasons, I bet you the box plus minus is, like, almost identical. If not, his might be a little bit higher. But, like, those guys are the standard. And what I think is amazing is we're looking at Giannis and Jokic, who I believe will end up being the two greatest foreign-born players when their careers are done. Pinpointing Nikola Jokic, he has yet to play enough minutes. He's like 500 minutes short to qualify for the basketball reference career box plus minus leaderboards. But his current career box plus minus is 8.4, which would be third all time behind Jordan and LeBron. Box plus minus, they don't have it going previous to 1974-75, so this is not going to include Kareem, it's not going to include Wilt, but you kind of get the point that since the NBA-ABA merger, like, Jokic has been one of the top five players in terms of, like, what he's done in his career thus far. Will it probably go down? Maybe. He He's producing well above 8.4 box plus minus this season, so he can increase that, and then he'll probably go back down, but I just wanted to point that out because Jokic, what he's doing and he, what he's done in his career is absurd. He's also a guy that's been excellent in the playoffs, right? Like the big edge that Hakeem has on Dirk is that like Hakeem was better in the playoffs. Like there's a, the reason the Rockets have two championships is that Hakeem was consistently better in the playoffs than he was in the regular season to a degree that Dirk wasn't. Dirk was also really good in the playoffs. Like there's a reason the Mavericks won championship. So... The guy that needs to be talked about historically is Andre Karolinko because him being six kind of surprised me. Whenever you go back and you look at like these VORP and box plus minus leaderboards from his era, the early mid 2000s and right around 2010, I think that's kind of like when he stopped being an NBA player in that era. Karolinko was like randomly like, it wasn't even random. He was like in the top five multiple seasons I believe right I think he finished second one year and he was maybe the best defensive player in the league you look at what he was able to do he he was classified as a small forward one season and led the league in blocks right like Karolinko was kind of Draymond Green before any team realized how to use Draymond Green or a Draymond Green like player to the best of their abilities this is a guy that if he played today I think we'd be talking about as being one of the best defensive players ever, right? Like, he was the best defensive player in the league um, in terms of metrics for uh, at least one season, and he was near the top most seasons. This was a, a wing who could credibly defend the paint and defend the perimeter. Like, he would be perfect in today's NBA. He's also a far better scorer than Draymond was. Admittedly, he wasn't as good a passer. So I think if you kind of want to, like, be like, what was Andre Karolinko? Andre Karolinko was like Draymond Green. He just wasn't on a super amazing team that we all remember, and injuries robbed him of a lot of game time and then shortened his career. I mean, this is a guy who basically was an effective NBA player from age like 20 to 29. He didn't have like a post-30 career that was of any note. He ended up in Russia, and then he came back and like was nothing. 
But Karolinko is someone that, if you want to talk about like most underrated players of their era, he's definitely one of them. And it's not surprising why. He was a defensive player who was doing things on defense that we didn't yet realize were as valuable as they were. He played for the Utah Jazz. He wasn't on a championship team. And he wasn't putting up crazy scoring totals, even though he was a pretty good scorer. Karolinko is someone that I think we should just go back and reevaluate as like he might be a top six, a top ten well, he's obviously a top 10 international player, but he might be a top five international player when you take into account that, you know, he's 25th all time in box plus minus, right? The only reason he's 51st in VORP is because he just didn't play a ton, right? You need minutes to accumulate VORP. And so on a rate basis, he's one of like the best international players ever. One of the best players of the NBA, uh, the post NBA ABA merger. I remember Karolenko and I always liked him just because he was someone that like, you could just you just looked at the stats and you're like this dude is doing Hakeem Olajuwon shit legitimately like steals and blocks like people didn't rack up those two stats in the way that I don't know if anyone has since he has right maybe Draymond but we're talking about like a special special player and it's too bad that he didn't get the do that that he should have when he was playing people always knew he was good but he was really great and today people kind of forget about him because he never won a championship and he didn't play that long and those things tend to give you more sway like being able to have that retirement tour is almost as important for your legacy as actually being great the guy in fifth Manu Ginobili is one of my favorite players of all time of all international players that have retired right Giannis and Jokic are ahead of him but he's got the best box plus minus of any international player this is a guy that didn't really start playing as a full-time regular until he was like 26 right he didn't even get into the NBA until he was like 24 25 he got a late start great longevity when you consider how late he got into the NBA he was still an effective player close to 40 you listen to guys like D'Angelo Russell James Harden they're like yeah I modeled my game after Manu I don't know if they said that exactly but they've said that Manu was like a big influence on them they're both lefties and he was a lefty Manu Ginobili was awesome I mean he was a great defensive player he was I mean playing with Tim Duncan obviously helps but he was a good defensive player and a fantastic offensive player but because he came off the bench and the way the Spurs utilized him he never put up like league leading scoring numbers league leading assist numbers but he's a dude if he'd been on a bad team and they just said we're running we're running this through Manu he could have and I guarantee this, he could have at his peak been like a 28-7 and seven guy. 28 points, 7 assists. He was that good. And he's, he's the reason that that second kind of Spurs dynasty was it, be able to exist and last. Like, he was really crucial to four championship teams. And once again, he's probably someone that gets a little bit... People know he's great. People talk about him like he's great. But he's probably not viewed in the public consciousness quite as good as he was but he really was a special player and one of the reasons we kind of acknowledge is because he was on championship teams but once again the market you're in is so important right Manu was great he should people should rate him much higher than they do uh wherever you think he is unless you have him in the top five so outside of Spurs fans you're probably doing it wrong final guy I'm going to touch on or the final two guys I'm going to touch on is Tony Parker has kind of gotten the Manu Ginobili treatment where people view them as being equals to some degree. You know, they're both international players. They both played for the Spurs. They both, you know, were blah, 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 blah. 
Tony Park was nowhere near as good as Manu Ginobili. Um, I don't know why he kind of gets thrown in there. I think it's because people are lazy and they're like, well, they're both foreign. They both played for the Spurs at the same time. Ergo, they're probably the same player. Tony Parker was a really good NBA player, but he's he was one of those guys where like his best seasons, he's maybe an all-star, right? Like Manny Ginobili's best seasons, he's like all NBA for certain. Like that's how, that's the difference in production. Not trying to diss Tony Parker. Like that's not a diss. I, I don't feel like saying you're an NBA all-star caliber player in your prime as an insult. He's just clearly, clearly not one of the top, 10 or even I mean if you put him in the top five for international players you're doing this wrong right like there's if you're gonna put him in over Giannis and Jokic who like are already almost in the top five and have plenty of their prime left to go you're just doing this wrong right like Tony Parker was a really good player and he was an important piece of championship teams but like he was the third best player on those teams for certain and maybe in some cases even the fourth best, if you want to give that young Kawhi squad, the squad where Kawhi was really young and great on defense, say he was the third best player. Final guy is the third guy in this list, Pau Gasol, probably the most disrespected player. And one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of the, the Kobe stands is because Pau Gasol is like, you know, the third best international player of all time in terms of VORP, right? Right behind Hakeem and Dirk. Granted, Hakeem and Dirk have way more VORP, um, they have better box plus minus, but we're talking about a guy who had a really, really good long career. And part of the reason I think Pau Gasol kind of gets bumped down and is because people go, oh, well, Kobe won those two championships with Pau Gasol by himself. Like he was the only good player and it's no, like Pau Gasol was also an all NBA quality player. He was super, super, super good. And that's what bugs me because at the end of the day, I have no issue with people thinking Kobe was great. I do have an issue with people saying Pau Gasol wasn't good and Kobe got those championships by himself. You'll hear that a lot. Like, I mean, Kobe won with Pau Gasol. That's like, that's absurd. No, it's not. <laughs> Pau Gasol was really good. If he's the second best player on your team, you're a championship contender. That's how good he was, right? Like if he's the best player on your team, yeah, you're probably not going to win a championship. But if he's the second best player, you are. Like, you're that good that you can do that. Shit, if he's your third best player, you're probably the best team of all time, right? Pau Gasol, criminally underrated for his career. He, It's the same issue that you have with a lot of players. It's if they're not super elite in one statistical category, people don't tend to value them properly. He never scored an insane amount of points. But, you know, in his era, which was a low-scoring era, 18 to 21 points is really good. He never racked up a ton of assists, but, you know, he was like, you know, four to five assists at his best season. That's super good for a center, especially considering the era. Never led the league in rebounds, but, you know, still like, you know, eight to 12 rebounds is still really, really good. So he was a guy that was like above average in like, especially considering his position, at like three common statistical markers. He did it at efficiency. He could score low post, high post. By the end of his career, he was a good three-point shooter. He's a criminally underrated defender, right? We tend to go, oh, how many block shots do these guys have? Well, block shots, especially post-2000, aren't nearly as good an indicator of defensive ability. Getting blocks is great. But the reality is, if you've ever played basketball, um, have you ever gone up to block a shot? And because you do that, 
the guy misses, but then because you went up to block the shot, you have no chance to get the rebound because it kind of pulls you out of position. Like the best rim protectors in basketball are able to stop shots without blocking it and also maintaining their defensive position in a way that they can get defensive rebounds. And that's kind of the issues. Pau Gasol is like a defender in that ilk. He's like, I'm not going to try to block shots because I'd rather alter it and be able to have a chance at the rebound instead of hoping I get this block shot, giving myself a 2% chance more of blocking the shot and then taking myself out of the picture for a rebound. Pau Gasol, really good player. People need to give him his credit because it's those back-to-back title teams for the Lakers. Like Kobe was the best player on the team. He was super good. Pau Gasol is the second best player on the team, and he was super, super good. There's a reason they won back-to-back titles and made three straight finals, right? Like you don't do that with just one good player. Can you sneak one championship with like one great player and a bunch of pretty good to okay players? Sure. You don't make three straight finals with a roster like that. And you sure as hell don't win back-to-back with a roster like that. The evidence is screaming in everyone's face. You just got to give Pal Gasol the credit he deserves. It's it's not that hard, right? Like, why is it so hard to say Pal Gasol was super good and the third best international player to date? Because Giannis and Jokic, I don't know where they're going to finish, but they're going to finish one and two, right? Like, barring catastrophic injury, those guys are finishing one and two as the top two international players when they're all said and done. And Luke is going to be hot on their heels by that point, maybe even surpass them. International game has gotten a lot better. Rudy Gobert is in 15th. He has a shot at making the top five. I don't know if he will just because it's hard to rack up a ton of defense, a uh, ton of value just being a super good defensive player. Um, other metrics probably rate him higher and they're probably better. Okay, we're almost at 30 minutes. Last thing I'm going to say, because I'm on Rockets Twitter. Rockets Twitter. Dear Rockets Twitter. You got to stop getting upset when Jalen Green doesn't play 35 minutes each night for a bunch of reasons. You especially got to not get pissed when Jalen Green doesn't play 35 minutes and the Rockets get blown out. When you get blown out and you're a starter, you know what you don't do? You don't play really in the fourth quarter that much because your team's getting blown out. I don't need to hear, oh, he's a rookie, he needs the reps. No, he doesn't. Like, you got to earn your reps to a degree, right? If you want Jalen Green to play more minutes, he needs to play better so those minutes matter. His teammates need to play better so those minutes matter, right? That's just the deal. You're telling Steven Silas and the Rockets to, like, not let the back of the bench get minutes when they deserve to get minutes because the starters and the, the second string totally sucked because we need to get Jalen Green more looks. He already played 25 minutes. Like It's not like he didn't play, and he didn't deserve to get those 10 extra minutes because he didn't play well enough. That happens. It's okay. All right? The other thing is, this dude had a hamstring injury in Summer League, and then he had a hamstring injury this season. He came back from it not too long ago. The NBA season is super, super condensed. It's way too long. They play way too many games. The Rockets play at a really fast pace. Ergo, why risk him getting hurt in a blowout so he can't play 25 minutes the next four games just so he can play 35 minutes this one game, right? Like, 100 minutes versus 10 minutes. Which one gets more playing reps, right? Let it play out. 
I I don't understand. Like I'm all about let the young guys play, but if this game's out of hand, you let the you let the third string guys get their reps. You see if you have anyone at the end of the bench that can maybe one day slide up and move into the rotation. But demanding that Steven Silas play Jalen Green when he does not deserve to play because the score is out of hand is stupid. You're criticizing an NBA coach for doing right by his entire roster and not giving special treatment to one player. You want to lose a locker room? Do that. Like, you want to lose a locker room? Take a guy and give him special treatment and see how long guys put up with that because when you're losing and you do that guys are going to turn on you if the Rockets were winning every game no one would care because winning makes every bad decision okay they're not when you're losing you actually have to do the right thing all right if you want to know the character of an athlete as a teammate put him in a losing situation everyone's a good teammate everyone's a good dude when you're winning it's easy when you're losing that's when you find out who is a good teammate, who is a good dude, who has what it takes, because that shit is not fun. And when basketball becomes not fun, you find out which basketball players, one, love it, which basketball players are professional, and which basketball players you know you can trust in tough situations. Losing has its purpose. It has to happen. And for a lot of young players, they have to go through a lot of it. You hope they don't enjoy it, but you can't just say, hey, Jalen, you played like shit. Here's 10 more minutes. You earned it because we drafted you second overall. Come on. Come on, Rockets Twitter. Grow up. I know you haven't been through a rebuild recently, but this is how it works, and this is how it should work. If you want your team to hand everything to your players, you're not preparing them for the reality of being a good team where nothing is given to you. Bad things happen. You have to overcome it. Okay. That's this little quick episode of Above the Break with just Nevin Brown. Remember, rate, review, like, subscribe. We recently made an appearance, me and James, before James went on the injured list on Summit State of Mind podcast through Fansided. Very good episode, if I must if I must say so myself. It was a lot of fun. Talked a lot of Rockets. So if you're a Rockets fan, you go, Nevin, stop telling us what to think. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just telling you to be reasonable. So maybe I am telling you what to think. I don't care. That's my job. I mean, it's not my job, but that's what a podcast is. It's someone sitting in here telling you what to kind of think or what to think about. I'm asking you to think about things a little bit differently than maybe you have, and maybe you agree with me, hopefully. I feel like the people on Rockets Twitter that are the loudest are the least reasonable people in Rockets Twitter. So if you're going, Nevin, that's not me, that's not me, good. Thank you. I appreciate you. Unfortunately, you don't. You need to tweet these reasonable thoughts when you see all this crazy stuff. Don't be scared to be reasonable on Twitter. I know Donald Trump fucked that up for everyone, but don't be scared to be reasonable on Twitter. But remember, rate, review, like, subscribe, and check out Above the Break YouTube channel so you can see me just talking to a microphone for 35 minutes wearing a Liverpool beanie. I look good. I mean, not really. Um, but I look as good as I'm going to look at 12 o'clock on a Monday. Um, got work in a few hours. All right. As always, it's Nevin Brown. James will be back soon. I'll give you an update on his injury report. Hopefully this will be the last time it's just me. And peace.